I mentioned, I sent out an email to, to the church that um, we have a guest preacher uh, this morning. Dan Catches, come on up. Dan is a pastor at uh, Covenant Paso Rolls, and uh, he's been a part of our presbytery for a long time. And Dan, who I call Papa Bear, uh, he's beloved in our presbytery, uh, and he's been a great friend of Grace Church. And uh, he was on the committee uh, that kind of shepherded me through uh, ordination and helped me through my exams, and and he's just always been an incredible ally. And so we thought it was a great idea to invite him to come and preach on this special occasion. So Dan Catches, Pastor Robles, he's going to bring us a word from 1 Peter. Thank you, Bob. Well, it is, uh, I count this, a tremendous privilege uh, always a privilege to open the Word of God for, uh, for the church gathered in Christ's name. Uh, but also, what a special Sunday this is for Grace South Bay. And I have a great affection and appreciation for, for Bob, and I've just gotten to know Stephen, and certainly uh, for David and Iron back at the Palo Alto site that will now be distinct from all of you. I uh, also have a little bit of connection to San Jose. I grew up here in the Bay Area on the peninsula in Burlingame, was my hometown growing up. I uh, went to San Jose State, graduated from there, met my wife at San Jose State. Only at San Jose State in the 80s. These were the early 80s. Uh, can you go to Togo's sandwich shop right on near campus and help someone out with their car, which I did. And they offered me a chip as a, for helping them out. I thought, oh, starving college student, a bag of chips? I, I could eat a bag of chips. Well, no, it happened to be a Motorola 68,000 microprocessor chip <laughs> that he put on my hand. It's like, oh, only in Silicon Valley do you <laughs> express your appreciation for someone helping you on the side of the road with the latest Motorola processor. So, but it is good, it's good to be back here, and it's good to be with all of you. And I want to direct your attention to our text this morning. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. It is printed, I believe, on page 8 of your worship folder. I want to talk about joy inexpressible. As Peter, the apostle, sought to encourage and remind the young churches of Asia Minor as they were organizing, enduring, suffering, struggling. He wants to remind them uh, that they are tethered uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and how that uh, can grant them this joy uh, regardless of external circumstances. So I want to I want to talk about inexpressible joy to you. So, hear the word of the Lord found in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed 
in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, things into which angels long to look, you have made available to us. What tremendous privilege you have afforded us, the church of the New Testament, to have before us the oracles of God, to have the presence of Christ in power amongst us. And may you work your wonders in the midst of your people this morning, opening our eyes to see and our hearts to receive all that you have for us this morning, that your word going forth would not return void, but to accomplish all your wonderful purposes in building up a community of grace that is a foretaste, a sign, an instrument of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen. Last month, I hopped on to a conference, video conference call uh, with several of us in our presbytery, and we were talking to our two pastors that are situated up in Chico and Paradise. And this was after, of course, the campfire that devastated and destroyed most of the town of Paradise. I have an affinity for that area, too. My wife and I served with Campus Crusade for Christ, or crew, at Chico State for a number of years. My, one of my sons was born at the hospital up in Paradise, Feather River Hospital. So as we listened to them recount that day of the fire and their narrow escape, especially one of the pastors who lives in Paradise, Brian, did not think he was going to make it out alive. He was sending text messages to his family and to his co-workers saying, I love you if I never see you again. Uh, He made it out. Of the the church body at Ridge Presbyterian Church in Chico Vespers, 114 homes uh, represented in that church community. Only seven of those homes survived the fire. And of those seven, I think only two were deemed habitable because of the damage and the smoke. What stood out as we talked uh, with these two really young pastors um, was 
their recounting of the gathering of the people of God that Sunday after the fire. The fire, I believe, came through on a Thursday. They held their worship service as they normally do in Chico that following Sunday evening. They did not know what to expect. They assumed that they would have a very small showing as people were so rattled and dislocated. It was packed. And the sound of the songs and hymns thundered that little church where they met. The the tears of joy that they saw in the faces of their people who had lost all their worldly goods in that fire was absolutely jaw-dropping, stunning to them. And that's a bit, I think, of where we get this expression, inexpressible joy. It's a joy that is inexplicable. It's a, it's a joy that is baffling. Who, who gathers and sings and weeps for joy after all their life's belongings are fully consumed in a raging fire? And all we could do is come back to this, that their joy was tethered not in this world, but in the world to come. And to one who had lived the life they should have lived and died the death they should have died and had united them to himself, that their joy was rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to navigate quickly through this passage with you this morning. And it's such an extensive passage. And we're just going to give it a 30,000-foot view here this morning. I want to talk about this idea that this inexpressible joy tethered to the Lord Jesus holds the future in the present because it is rooted in the past. Okay, holds the future in the present because it is rooted in the past. So I want to make that kind of our roadmap this morning. I want to talk about what it means to be rooted in the past, what it means to be kept safe for the future. And then finally, what does it mean to be resilient in the present? Okay, what does it mean to be rooted in the past uh, kept safe for the future and resilient in buoyant in the present time. So let's, let's look at this rooted in the past. Verse 3 is a sermon in and all by itself. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, saved by God's great mercy. We are rooted in the past working of God. Peter uses past, present, and future tenses in this text. And he is speaking of something rooted in the past, some great act of God to intervene, uh, an act of his great mercy, the The Greek word for mercy, Elias, is a translation of the Hebrew word chesed, which is God's binding, tenacious, covenantal love by which he pursues and grabs hold of and never lets go. This is the mercy that God put on display in Jesus Christ, rooted in the past uh, in our lives Two, as we have come to faith in him. The terms that Peter outlines, born again, caused us to be born again. It, it speaks to the radical nature 
of what it means come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Unexpected, undeserved mercy coming to us, supernatural. It, this type of language that the Scripture is replete with dispels any notion that Christianity, the historic Christian faith, can be reduced to a set of moral guidelines, principles to live by, ethics by which to navigate through life. It'll have those things, but, oh, it's so much more. Supernatural. In fact, one way we can look at this rooted in the past, the act of God to save, is it's a great intervention, a dramatic rescue. When we moved to Paso Robles in 95, where I currently live, we had three small children at the time. The home that we first rented there uh, was a beautiful home, but it had this incredibly precarious front driveway that, that just sloped uh, so steep into the street. And so we, we had to give our children instructions if they're out front, you know, you've got, there's a landing area, and then it was just this precipice where you just went down and said, you cannot go near that. But, you know, they're children. So uh, one occasion I was talking with my wife in the driveway. I had swung by for a lunch break, and we were out at the base of the driveway talking, and the three of our kids were up in the landing area, and our youngest at the time, who was two, had a big wheel. And you could hear that big wheel when it rolls around. They're so loud. And as we were talking, I heard it. I heard that wheel start spinning. And as I turned, my wife and I turned, here was our youngest two-year-old beeline straight down this driveway. And have you seen those, um, they'll be on YouTube or Facebook, uh, great dad catches, you know, where, where a dad remarkably wakes up at the right time to catch his child before they hit the ground. This was my moment. This is my shining moment. Because as I'm positioned there, and he's coming down, and he is, he is moving so fast that at about halfway, he's starting to go airborne. He's coming up out of the seat of his big wheel, and it's either a trip to the ER room, or I'm going to have to intervene here for a dramatic rescue. And I positioned myself, and I absorbed his momentum into my embrace. It was perfect, beautiful. It was gorgeous. I mean, I've never, I don't know if I could describe the sensation of, of a perfect catch, um, uh, absorbing this deadly momentum that my son had built up, just taking the full blow of it into my embrace and uh, celebrating uh, what, what just happened. Okay, I want you to think of this. The mercy of God in Jesus Christ is in some way similar to this. God in his great mercy sends his son to step in the way of our momentum, our runaway life, our hell-bent rebellion, our uh, natural instinct to fight God and run from him, to be our own God, our own savior, is like the momentum that my son built up on that driveway. And the Lord Jesus on the cross embraces and absorbs the full weight of that momentum. 
That's the mercy of our Savior. That's the drama of redemption. That's the glory of the cross that in the Lord Jesus, your momentum and my momentum, if you're here this morning and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that momentum of your sin and rebellion fully absorbed by the Lord Jesus in his embrace. The wrath of God poured out on him. His righteousness enveloping you and me. That's mercy. Great mercy rooted in the past, unexpected, undeserved, supernatural, through the sufferings of Christ in his subsequent glories. That's where Peter goes at the end of the text. This living hope is rooted in the past, the historic reality of the resurrection. Let's move on to kept safe for the future. Verse 4, we are told in the text that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we've been saved to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. An inheritance. And we all know what an inheritance is. In the, in the scriptural times, particularly in the Old Testament church, the covenant communi- community of Israel, inheritance meant really these three things, a, a people, a, a portion, and a place, okay? A place, a portion, and a people was, was what an inheritance was. It was an identity. It was a sense of belonging. It was a sense of permanence and stability, Uh, This is all carried over into the New Testament, the gospel understanding of our inheritance in Christ. It's it's not a monetary exchange. It's a, a people, a place, and a portion that is secured for us, an identity as the sons and daughters of the Most High, a community. Uh, We read earlier, uh, Bob read from Jeremiah, the covenant model, I will be your God, you will be my people. It's what our heart aches for the most, that sense of belonging and embrace. That, we're told, is unassailable, unreachable, uh, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, which, to be honest, everything else in this life is just that. No matter what you hear, there's no safe bet. There's no secure investment. There's no way to get the type of security we all long for. There's no secure government. There's no secure political institution. There's no secure community. All things are shifting and unstable except this. This undefiled imperishable, unfading people, place, and portion is the rightful inheritance of everyone who comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and looks to his mercy. That is um, unreachable by anything in this life because everything else is just that. This is why, by the way, if you look and read the Old Testament, it might be to your struggle that there are so many long genealogies and census given in the Old Testament because identity was so important. That mark that you were a member of the community, that you had a place at the table. 
And this is what the inheritance we have in Christ is. We are a welcome member of the family. We have a place at his table. Let's finish with resilient in the present. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This this word guarded is interesting. It means um, garrisoned, literally. Uh, It's almost uh, the idea of being put in a safe house uh, to keep you from threat and harm. This is the ultimate safe house. The ultimate place of security, guarded for our own good. We're sort of under protective custody, if you will, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God will not let us go. Tenacious. Even though, verse 6 tells us, we're grieved, if necessary, by various trials. Now, there are two types of grief one can navigate through. Well, there's probably more, but let me just say these two. There's debilitating grief. It's that grief that undoes us, that seems to put us in a place where there's no answers, no hope, no future. There is a lot of debilitating grief in our world. And then we come along the scriptures and we hear that there is a productive grief, a grief when it's brought in and redeemed in the, in the presence of the Lord Jesus is a grief that produces something. It's productive. It tests. It purifies. It reveals. It makes genuine. Somehow we have to hold on to this. That God will allow his people and his church to endure suffering and to grieve various trials because he's going to use those uh, to redirect, to recalibrate, to reorient our heart and our affection towards him and him alone, and even more so, to point us to the ultimate sufferer, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we come to know in greater measure when we walk with him through various trials and are grieved. My wife of 30 years has now two times walked down the center aisle of a church towards me. The the time that seems most obvious was on our wedding day, and of course she was radiant and splendor as she came down the aisle. But it was the time she walked down the aisle towards me that took place roughly a year before our wedding date that did something to my heart, that revealed something to me about the character of my wife that would forever remain indelible to me. It was my mother's funeral, whom my wife had never met. Uh, Immediately upon graduating from San Jose State, my mother, who had cancer for 11 years, uh, finally succumbed to it and passed away. Uh, I had just met Bonnie, my wife, uh, a few months before that. And so when she and several other friends and students from San Jose State came to the service in Millbrae, at the close of the service, I saw her walking down the aisle towards me with tears uh, streaming down her face. And something about her entering into my grief made such a lasting impression on my heart about her warmth and care and character. I think what Peter is trying to indicate here is that in these various trials and the suffering that we endure, The Lord Jesus walks down the aisle towards us. He reveals his own tears 
for his people when we suffer for his name and suffer the various trials of life. Those are things we'll never discover about his beauty and depth and splendor unless we walk and engage in suffering with him. Conversely, it is our way to show forth Christ to our world as well. For Grace South Bay to be a a joyful, suffering community, willing to enter into the suffering of the brokenness of the community around you, brings Christ in his tears and his embrace uh, to those who desperately need it, whose hearts are broken and have no hope to turn. That's the inexplicable, inexpressible joy that he brings as he reorients our life and our desires. Hebrews 12 says, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus, endured the cross for the joy set before him. These are things that the angels long to look into. So, Grace Presbyterian Church South Bay, on this special day, your organization, may God cause you to be a community of inexpressible joy, inexplicable, baffling, baffling and beautiful, uh, inexplicable and irresistible, uh, mysterious and missional. That's the, the life that God forms in his people, in his church holding the future and the present because it is rooted in the past, looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you now do not see him, you believe in him as he holds you in his embrace. Let me encourage you to uh, fall into that embrace this morning the embrace of the Lord Jesus Christ, his merciful, tenacious grasp of grace upon you, to be renewed in that, to have your heart softened by it, to have your sorrows consoled by it. Let me encourage you today, if you're here and Christianity is somewhat new to you or you've been an outside observer and you're exploring what the claim of Christ is, well, let that be your invitation to his arms ready to absorb the momentum of your existence in life and to hold you tight and in his mercy to secure for you what you will never secure for yourself. New heavens and new earth, life eternal, glorious in his presence. Let's lean on his everlasting arms. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, may you stir up our hearts this morning. May you warm them out of their numbness. The gospel so great and glorious. Our Lord Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, may his presence and beauty and power seize us this morning. Reorient us and reshape us and recalibrate us. May it uh, encourage the life of this church that you have established now for these nine years And may this church flourish under your care, provision, and protection. And may the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ spill forth in redemptive and life-giving and beautiful ways. 
to this community. We ask all this through the author and perfecter of our faith who endured the cross, despising the shame, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen.